Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. When I was in law school, my favorite class was criminal law. I had a wonderful professor, and she did a great job teaching us. And one of the things that she did midway through the semester is she broke us up into groups. And she gave us different cases. And so some of us were to prosecute the case, and some of us were to defend those that had been brought before the court. And so my group was given a case, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into the details, but it was very shocking and very heinous in nature. Um, sad. And I remember when our group got together and we began discussing the, the case, that in the beginning, more philosophical questions came forth than criminal questions. As we were analyzing what had transpired, and again, it was awful. People in my group began to say things like, there can't be a God. When you look at something like this, and you think about this, there can't be a God. Others would say, maybe there is a God, don't want to offend religious people, but clearly he does not care. Clearly he does not care. And then some said, perhaps there is a God, but he has no control over us whatsoever. And I remember at the time just struggling with these questions. I didn't know how to answer them according to the word of God. And I just sat there and I felt dejected because I didn't know how to respond. So this past week, we saw the evilness that transpired in Texas. And we know what happened, the, the terrible racist event that occurred in Buffalo days beforehand. We, we, we know this. And as I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching TV and I'm seeing these parents and as I'm thinking about these children, those questions begin to surface to the top once more. When, when you see this, how is there a God? Does He care? Does He have any control over us? That's what I thought about in that moment. And then I remembered our text that we're coming to the end of the Gospel of Mark. And what are we going to focus on today? Well, you know, we just read the text, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as I began to think about the women who have come to the tomb, don't you think on some level they were probably asking the same questions in some sense? Lord, why did you let this happen? Lord, he did not deserve such a horrific death. 
Lord, we don't understand. We don't understand. So this morning, I want us to walk through the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16. And I want us, as believers in Jesus Christ, the one who has been resurrected from the dead, I want us to to wrestle with this. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that your word is true, that it never fails us, that it is the authority for faith and life. God, give us a greater and deeper and fuller trust in your word by the Holy Spirit. Father, forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as you speak this morning. Amen. So there are five things that we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to try and not go an hour and a half with this sermon. Don't let that worry you. Five things. Number one, God's word is true. Number two, God is knowable. Evil is real. Number four, God is mysterious. And finally, resurrection is hope. Now, before we talk about those five things, there's something that I briefly need to bring to your attention. If you're looking at your Bibles, if you have your Bibles open before you, you are going to see, if you're reading the English Standard Version, perhaps it's the NIV, the New International Version, you're going to see that scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark ends with verse 8. But they give you additional text, as if it is a footnote. And I want you to understand why that is the case. I think this is helpful. So Mark 16 does, in fact, I believe, end with verse 8. Now, I am by no means a biblical scholar, but biblical scholars the vast majority of them in this day and age agree that it does end at 8. Now, there are several reasons for that. One, the two earliest extant manuscripts end there. The two earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark that we have end at verse 8. Secondly, Early church fathers like Clement and Origen do not seem to be aware of a longer ending. In their writings, it appears as if their understanding of the Gospel of Mark concludes with verse 8. Number three, other early church fathers note the absence of a longer ending. They mention this, that Mark seems to come to a conclusion with verse 8. The longer ending does not appear in the Eusebian canons of the gospel from the early 4th century. This is Eusebius' efforts to take the four gospels and interweave them together to create one story. A very noteworthy and famous work, Eusebius indicates that Mark ends chapter 16 at verse 8. And then finally... It seems to be an addition, scholars say, from the second century to harmonize Mark with the other Gospels. In other words, a scribe was taking great efforts to bring Mark in line with Matthew, Luke, and John. And over time, this additional footnote 
was worked into the gospel. And so through science, through the study of scripture, through archaeology, we have come to the conclusion that it doesn't belong. That it's not the gospels. But publishers continue to put it in the text to allow you to think about it and to study it and to read it on your own. But I believe that it ends with verse 8, and I hope that that is helpful on some level. So let's, let's examine this morning the heartache that so many people feel, the pain that so many people feel as a result of tragedies, and the questions that arise from that. And I think that we have to begin that the foundation is whether or not the Word of God is true. If, if, the word of not, if the Word of God is not true, there are many questions. If the Word of God is true, then there is a path by which believers can walk that helps us to begin to understand the difficulties of these life, the, the questions that are so challenging. So what do we believe about the Word of God? Well, we believe that He condescends to us through His Word and reveals Himself by the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, is using the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds. He is illumining it so that we can see it and understand it and know it and believe it. And we have some key figures in the history of biblical revelation and the message of redemption that speak to the truth of the Word of God. King David says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your Word. King David is saying, I believe this is true. I believe that the Word of God will not fail me. I believe that the Word of God will not let me down. The Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. The Apostle Paul is in agreement with King David that God is breathing out His Word and that it is perfect and that it is true and that we can trust in us, that it teaches us what to do, what is right. God, the High King of Heaven, is speaking to His people. Words of life, words of truth. And then if any further argument was needed, we hear Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 17, 7. He says, sanctify them in the truth. He's talking to His Father in heaven. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now that right there should be the end of the debate. Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, is saying to the Father, sanctify them through your word, and your word is the truest of all truths. The Bible says some 3,800 times that 
God has spoken, or thus saith the Lord. Over 3,800 times. Scripture is coming to you through the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's saying, this is divine revelation, this is truth, believe in it. And allow it to mold you and shape you and guide you and lead you and direct you and train you. And so, if we are going to look at some of the big questions of life, if we are going to look at difficult things that have happened and we hope to have answers, the beginning place, the foundation is the Word of God because it tells us what we need to know about God and who He is. It's the only way as finite creatures with limited capacity, as sinful humans, that we can have clarity in this broken, fallen an unstable world. And so Scripture is the loving, authoritative, and trustworthy declaration of a holy, mighty, perfect, just, and gracious King. Let me read that again. Scripture is the loving, authoritative, and trustworthy declaration of a holy, mighty, perfect, just, and gracious King. So if we believe that the Word of God is true, if we believe it is the foundation upon which we stand if it's how we know anything, then Scripture helps us understand who God is. And that's the second point. God is knowable according to His Word. What can we know about God? Well, there's a lot that we can go know about God. You could do a whole sermon series on the attributes of God. But in light of, of what has transpired this past week, and the last few weeks, and the questions that maybe some of us are wrestling with, there's a few things that I want to point out about God according to His Word, which remember, we believe is true. First, He's good. He is good. Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is good. He's loving. Ephesians 2, 4-5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Our God is good. Our God is loving. He is faithful. Deuteronomy 32, 3-4. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything He does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright He is. Good, loving, faithful, the Word of God tells us. This is your God. We may be facing tragedy, we may be facing difficulties, we may be facing hard circumstances, we may have doubts, we may have fears. But the Word of God, which is true, is telling us that our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is good, loving, faithful, and sovereign. God has control and authority over all 
things. God knows best. He is infinite in his knowledge. As I mentioned earlier, we are finite. He knows best. He has the true understanding of all things and all events. I remember when John Hunter was little, we had some birthday presents in a closet. And there was something that was in the closet that he wanted. I cannot remember what it was. And I caught him trying to go in the closet and I barred him from entry. And I said, you cannot go in there. You are not allowed to go in there. You are not entering this closet. And he looked at me like, you are insane. It's just a closet. I've been in there a hundred times before. But I did not want him to see his birthday presents. I did not want the surprise to be ruined. As his wiser father, perhaps that's debatable, but as his wiser father, I knew what was best for him and I did not want him to go in there. I had the bigger picture. He had the more limited understanding. And I was asking him to trust in me. The sovereignty of God calls us before Him. And our Father in heaven is saying, Your knowledge is limited. Mine is unlimited. Trust me. I know what is best. Number three, evil is real. The Word of God is true. And God is knowable because of that. And he is loving and he is good and he is faithful and he is sovereign. It, evil is real. Sadly, evil is real. That we know according to the word of God that creation is fallen. We know that according to the word of God we are sinful and broken people. We know that because of the fall things are not the way that they should be. Things are not right. Evil is real because of the fall. Our corruption is real. Here John 3 19 and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Yes. If you turn on the news if you jump on social media you know very quickly that the world is corrupt and the word of God is telling us that apart from Christ we are corrupt and that we continue to do sinful things yes we look to him for forgiveness yes we look to him for mercy and grace but even as believers we still struggle with doing right versus wrong and the world is corrupt the people around us are corrupt Spiritual darkness is real. This is a longer passage, but it's important. From Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, Paul says, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual darkness is real. Don't doubt it. Remember, Christ has come to inaugurate His kingdom. Christ will return to consummate His kingdom, to establish it finally and fully. And we live in what is called the already not yet. I have mentioned this previously. So, light, there is a struggle between light and darkness. And evil is present. And we need to pray and ask the Lord to protect us and to guard our hearts and to lead us into the light that we may walk by the light, which is the Word of God. That the Holy Spirit would comfort us and help us. Because this spiritual darkness is not an imaginary thing, that it is present in this world because Christ has not returned. And then finally, Satan is real. This is not popular. This is something that you don't hear spoken of often in our culture. But Satan is real. He is our adversary. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. To devour. So what is... The Word of God tell us, the Word of God that we believe in, that evil is certainly real, that it surrounds us, that it happens, and that the devil is at work. And then fourthly, God is mysterious. God is mysterious. Here Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our sovereign, gracious, merciful, loving, good God is telling us that He is so far above us. And that His ways are hard to understand. They are mysterious. Remember that our minds are corrupted by sin. That we are are finite, and that He is infinite. And that that is a good thing for us to realize as God's people, that He is a loving and caring Father who knows what is best and He knows all. And so we live in 2022 in Western society, and if anything, we want to understand everything. We believe that science explains everything, but there was a, an article that I read this week that because of the, the telescope that has gone out into deep outer space, and excuse me, I forget the name, that there are some new theories about how the universe is expanding, unfolding, perhaps shrinking. And in the article, it was numerous scientists saying this is going to change how we think about things. Our knowledge is not as exhaustible. We submit to the one who is the creator and the ruler 
of all things. Romans eleven thirty three through 34. Oh, the depths of the richness and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? So we, we look to the Word of God. We believe that it is true. That we know according to the Word of God that He is loving and good and just. We know that according to the Word of God that evil is real, that it is present. But it also tells us as we wrestle and grapple and deal with tragedy and with pain and suffering and the deep philosophical questions of life, we know as we handle all of that as God's people that He is telling us, I am mysterious. You are cannot know everything. You cannot fully know my plans. You cannot understand my will. I'm the creator of heaven and earth. I made you. I am the potter. You are the clay. The Lord is telling us, know your place. Know your place. Understand who I am. And trust in a benevolent king. A loving creator. I don't have time to go into this, but one thing to understand in our tradition, the Reformed tradition, that the relationship between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and evil is mysterious. I remember going to the works of John Calvin in seminary, and I wanted to understand why God allows evil to exist. And I remember pouring through some four or five hundred pages. And in the end, the only thing that I could take away from this reading was that God knows all, God knows best, God will be glorified and the relationship between Him and evil is mysterious. It is mysterious. And then finally, finally, resurrection is hope. It is truly our only hope. So the women in Mark chapter 16, they go to the tomb and the stone, which weighed several hundred pounds, had been rolled away and they enter into the tomb and there is an angel sitting there. The, the reference to the young man wearing white was angelic imagery and ancient Judaism. And he tells them that Jesus is not there. He is alive. And that phrase right there Changes everything. Jesus, who is the very Son of God, experienced evil and injustice and pain and humiliation for us. And He is now triumphant. Evil and death and Satan has no hold on Him at all. Because He is no longer wrapped in the linen. He is no longer in the tomb. He has been resurrected. Our resurrection hope means that God is reclaiming creation that rightly belongs to Him. 
because of the fall, the world plunged into sin. And the ramifications of that were significantly profound. And because Jesus has been raised from the dead, God is now coming to creation and He's reclaiming it to Himself. He is bringing about the new heaven and the new earth. Restoration. God is saying, I'm not going to allow this to continue forever. I'm going to bring a stop to this. I'm going to bring clarity to this. I'm bringing my people hope. Resurrection, our union with Christ, the first one to be resurrected means our entrance into the kingdom of God. As I said earlier, He is the King who has come. His kingdom has been inaugurated. There will be a day when He returns and it will be consummated. It will be here fully and it will be final. And we are going to enter into that kingdom fully and finally. So it is life, it is true life, after life and death. It is not a descent to heaven so that we can lay around and play a harp for eternity. It is restoration in the new world and our glorified state free of sin, free of problems, free of terror, free of all the difficult and challenging things that plague this earth. God is saying, I love you so much and I care for you so much and you mean so much to me that that is the destination for you in my presence forever. And so, The kingdom of God in its fullness for us means shalom. If you study that word in the Old Testament, it is a complete wholeness. We are imperfect. And when we enter into the kingdom forevermore, we will be made whole. Life in the kingdom will be new life. It will be different from this life. It is a life that we hopefully look forward to as God's people. This life in the kingdom, this new life, will be unexplainably joyful. And all pain and confusion will be vanquished. That's important. That... Our entrance into the kingdom that our older brother Jesus Christ secures for us. The one who has been resurrected and has gone before us. What we are going to know is that, or what we are going to experience, what we are going to understand in that moment is that God had a perfect plan for everything that transpired in the life that we previously lived. That there will be restoration and wholeness for the people who have experienced tragedy and terror and pain and difficulties. God makes us whole. There will be some understanding that we have regarding the evil that existed in this life. And so because of the resurrection, because Jesus 
left that tomb, we can say with King David, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me. And I will be with you forever. So if we have friends, and we have family members, work acquaintances that experience evil, terror, tragedy, and perhaps they don't know Christ. I don't know what answer they would come up with. I don't know what solution they would seek. But I do know this. That I would walk them tenderly and lovingly to the cross and that I would show them the empty tomb. Because as I look at the Word of God, as I study the Word of God, as I seek to know God, the only answers that I believe in this life that have any meaning are found there. Jesus answers them all. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you do not tell us everything that we need to know. But we're also thankful that you give us a glimpse of your solution and your plan in the cross and the empty tomb. Lord, help us to be loving and caring and supportive to those who don't understand. And may our words help them to see Jesus and Him only. And in the midst of the difficulties and pain that we might face, Father, may we also walk into that tomb and see that He is risen. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.